This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there and good evening. I am Rich Valdez and you're welcome to join our program tonight. 833-482-5337-8334 Valdez. And there's a, a bunch of back and forth going on. So you've got the House uh, Judiciary Committee that has had questions uh, with respect to the what they feel is a prosecution that is not above board in New York City, which I would agree is a sham. And uh, they've had questions where they've asked uh, of the prosecutor in New York, Alvin Bragg. Well, he's fired back and he said, no, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to sue you for interfering in my investigation, which is actually him interfering in the 2024 election. So we're going we're gonna to break that down momentarily. Uh, but I also wanted to talk about uh, what's happening in Kentucky, and, and not with respect to yesterday's shooting, but with respect to COVID, which is now over, by the way. As you know, COVID is now over officially. Uh, President Biden signed that into law very quietly at that. And with COVID being over, uh, the governor in Kentucky, who shut down churches during COVID, has been ordered to pay $270,000 in attorney's fees. Yep, listen to this, Daily Caller. Uh, federal appeals court ruled on Monday that the three individuals who sued the Kentucky governor for their right to assemble for worship during COVID-19 must be paid over $270,000 in attorney's fees. Randall Daniel, Theodore Roberts, and Sally O'Voyle sued uh, the governor back in August of 2020 after they received notices uh, logging their attendance at Maryville Baptist Church's Easter service and informing them that they must quarantine or face further enforcement measures. That's a quote from the order. The group alleged Democrat Governor Andrew Brashear's uh, bans on religious gatherings and interstate travel violate, or excuse me, uh, yeah, interstate travel, that's what it says here, violated their constitutional rights, which the Sixth Circuit affirmed back in May of 2020, according to the court documents. On Monday, the Sixth Circuit upheld a district court ruling awarding the congregants, those three congregants I mentioned, $272,000, a little bit over that, in attorney's fees, rejecting the governor's challenge. Good for them. I'm so glad that, you know, the good guys win every now and again. And uh, here's what they had to say. They said, I know a lot of people who are outraged at the 
taxpayer is on the hook for Andy's constitutional violation, said uh, Mr. Roberts in a tweet. He said, uh, I share this outrage, but this outrage must be aimed at Bashir. If the people of Kentucky want to quit being taxed in order to pay for these court judgments, well, then Kentucky must elect the governor who will actually follow the Constitution. Now, um, I want to add to that that you also should elect a United States senator that does a way better job than Mitch McConnell. Right, Mitch the Turtle McConnell is here. Because Mitch the Turtle McConnell, he's, um, he's not my cup of tea. I, I, I've, never, um, I've never seen eye to eye with him on just about anything. And I think it's time for him to go. He loves his friends on the left. He doesn't love anybody center-right. And you got, you got to get rid of a guy like that. And while you're at it, get rid of the other guy if you don't like him too. But that's, uh, that's the story coming out of Kentucky. Meanwhile, they uh, released the body footage on uh, the shooting that occurred yesterday in that bank. We'll get to that a little bit later. And there's an official count. 15 days to slow the spread is finally over after 1,120 days. I just wanted to give you that final count because I think that's, that's absolutely insane is uh, that that's where we are. Anyway, uh, California has moved on to stockpile. Guess how many abortion pills in case there's a rainy day like COVID? Two million. That's right. Uh, two million abortion pills are currently being stockpiled in California by uh, Gavin Newsom. Interesting, the things that they prioritize. Well, again, we saw that during COVID as well, right? It, wasn't, it was not okay for you to go to church, but it was okay for you to go to an abortion clinic. And by okay, I mean you were allowed to operate abortion clinics. You were not allowed to op operate a dentist's office, right? And I guess some people listening to that might say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are you, a schmuck on wheels, Rich Valdez? Well, maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm on rollerblades. But uh, I can't imagine how, you know, so much of healthcare was decimated. I mean, I remember people saying that entire hospitals were being shut down because of the, you know, stay home, stay home, stay home until, you know, but for emergency rooms. And, um, of course, nothing happened to any Planned Parenthood facilities. And I just thought, you know, how is it that what's good for the goose is just not the same for the gander? Hmm, right? Anyway, uh, I also want to get to... Uh, a few things tonight, and I'll give you a rundown on that in a moment. But the Department of Justice is asking an appeals court to put a hold on a Texas ruling against abortion drugs. So that's a big deal tonight. Uh, we'll see if we dig into that in the third hour for anybody who wants to get critical and say, oh, he just glossed over it. He spent about 15 seconds on it. He didn't even bother to go ahead and make, uh, make any comments about it. Yeah, I'll make them a little bit later. And I think that's important. And you've got, let's see, several um, leading, not leading, I think the leading candidate is Donald Trump. So I don't like the way this is kind of positioned, but several candidates for the 2024 uh, presidential election. Tulsi Gabbard uh, is a presumed one, as well as RFK Jr. And they're also throwing in Governor Ron DeSantis here, are warning against CBDCs, a central bank digital currency. And uh, this has been a conversation that's been on the rise for the last few months. I know that we've seen a lot of uh, back and forth on this and talked to a number of economists and, and different individuals on this. And nobody said, best thing ever. This thing is going to 
it's going to, you know, it's going to reinvent the wheel. No, everybody's pretty much been critical of it, <laughs> saying this is bad news, very, very bad. So uh, anyway, uh, DeSantis, former Congresswoman Gabbard, and uh, RFK Jr. are calling out the Federal Reserve's attempt to create an alternative digital dollar. And I forget what they're calling it, um, but I'm sure somebody will remind me. The three are warning that it'll be used to restrict civil liberties as seen in countries like China. I agree with that 100%, where access to one's money is dictated by a social credit scoring system. So that's uh, where we currently are right now. Now, the reaction came after the Fed released information regarding FedNow. I told you I'd get that reminder soon. FedNow is the initiative uh, which they seek to find a new way for banks to transfer funds between one another at a faster pace. Additionally, they're continuing their efforts to push forward a central bank digital currency that could achieve the same goal, which would allow individual banks to use them as instantaneous digital cash. NBC News and other um, mainstream media outlets were quick to um, run cover for the Fed, attacking DeSantis, RFK Jr., and others for misconstruing the two plans as one. And it's not that uncommon to for, you know, the, um, the I don't want to say the deep state, I'll call it the administrative state, they, um, for them to present a problem, provide a solution that doesn't seem so bad as what they really want, and then say, well, we tried that, but that didn't work. This is really the best way to go. We're going to need this central bank digital currency, and you're going to love it. It's going to be terrific. Anyway, that's uh, how they kind of sell it a lot of the time. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that. Plus, we're going to talk about what's going on in the House Judiciary Committee and a bunch of other uh, happenings with Biden and Bragg and everybody else coming up tonight. Uh, we've got Congressman Ben Klein joining us, as well as uh, country music star Derek Johnson. And Jen Cabany from The College Fix. So don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I've been very clear, this is a political witch hunt. This was a, a non-case that was passed on by the Department of Justice, by the U.S. attorneys, and Alvin Bragg ran on prosecuting Donald Trump. This is political. It's about the individual, not about the case. Uh, and I think as more and more facts are out there, people are going to see that this is a case that is just a political prosecution. We also have an important role because federal dollars were utilized in this prosecution. There were also two individuals that worked in the Manhattan DA's office that ended up leaving and wrote a book about the need to take on politically Donald Trump. Uh, so I think it's it's political prosecution that the that Trump has been facing, frankly, since 2016. And I think Alvin Bragg should be held accountable, and he will be held accountable. And he should testify under oath before Congress. All right, that's uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik from New York um, telling it like it is, in my opinion, because uh, that's her response to the announcement that Bragg is now suing um, Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan uh, over uh, what he's claiming is interference. And it's, I find it interesting. He's saying they're interfering. Well, meanwhile, he's literally interfering in a presidential election. 
But we're going to get to that momentarily uh, with uh, Congressman Ben Klein. He's uh, on the House Judiciary Committee. He's also chairman of the Subcommittee on Responsiveness and Accountability to Oversight. Congressman, welcome. Hey, Rich. Good to be with you. Yes, sir. So in, in hearing uh, this news from um, D.A. Alvin Bragg and this lawsuit, uh, what do you make of all this? Well, it is ironic that uh, he's criticizing us for wanting to have him before judiciary when his whole prosecution of Donald Trump is a political, political exercise. It's part of the left's relentless campaign against Donald Trump that started all the way back in 2016 when they spied on his campaign. 2018, they, we had the Mueller investigation. 2020, we had the suppression of Hunter Biden laptop story. 2022, uh, it was raid on Mar-a-Lago, 90 days before the election. And 2024, here they go, trying to interfere in the next presidential race. And uh, Trump's at the top of the polls and still charging. Yeah, and it's interesting that um, they always seem to project somehow one way or another with, with this um, idea of, well, you know, uh, you're, you're the one that's interfering when it's, you know, it's pretty clear that there's interference here, even including like the next time they come back to court, which, you know, leading into primaries and whatnot. Uh, do you think there's any merit to this or is this just him trying to score some headlines? Well, he is definitely trying to score headlines. I mean, he is a political uh, person. He ran for DA on a, on a indict Trump campaign. And so uh, he has admitted to using federal dollars in his investigation, as, in his office, as they investigated Donald Trump. And so it's our responsibility as the uh, federal uh, arm that deals with the expenditure of taxpayer dollars to actually find out if those taxpayer dollars are being misused. So to have the, an oversight hearing to ask Mr. Bragg to testify and to have a hearing in New York City uh, about the issue of crime in New York City. These are all things that are well within uh, the jurisdiction and, and uh, prerogatives of Congress. How likely is it that you think he shows up and says, all right, you know what, I'm going to show up in front of Judiciary Committee and, uh, you know, have at it, boys. I've got nothing to hide. Well, uh, from what I've seen of Mr. Bragg, the press conference that he gave, the wording of his indictment, the lack of specificity and the uh, information that was in the indictments, I, I think he would be worried about the kinds of questions that would come from uh, some of the most uh, polished and accomplished, accomplished uh, uh, interrogators on the Judiciary Committee. You know, we've got some really good lawyers, and uh, they would love to be able to ask Mr. Bragg some pretty pointed questions about his uh, procedures that he undertook in his, uh, as he used taxpayer funds during this investigation. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that, and I would say I think he's scared, and he'll do anything he has to not to show up because it just doesn't help him in any way, and it just too much exposure there. Now let's switch gears a little bit, if you don't mind, Congressman. Let's talk about um, uh, this news that we saw came out of America First Legal. They had put in a, a an information request with the federal government with the um, archives, and now find that the Biden administration was in fact involved in the raid at Mar-a-Lago uh, through what they called a special access request. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, we do know that the Biden administration denied any involvement in the raid 
uh, after it, shortly after it occurred. Now we're finding out that they did have contact. So uh, there are inconsistencies, if not outright lies, that have to be uh, have to be addressed. And so we're we're definitely going to be looking into that, whether it's the Judiciary Committee and and Chairman Jim Jordan, or whether it's the Oversight Committee and Chairman Jamie Comer. But uh, uh, this is a, a serious concern for those of us who uh, re- we don't take uh, the administration at its word. Uh, but, uh, you know, Reagan's old adage was trust but verify. And uh, at this point, you can't even trust what's coming out of the uh, mouths of the, of the press room at the White House. Yeah. Yeah. Lamentably, that's exactly how it goes. Now, uh, with with uh, staying on this topic of Biden, a lot of a lot of every day, it seems that there's there's something new coming out about Biden. Uh, we're now finding out that uh, many of um, the president's son, Hunter Biden, his business partners were avid visitors to the White House, something like over 80 times while Joe was vice president. Again, something he said he knew nothing about. He had, had nothing to do with his son's business. Um, is this something you guys might uh, have a, a role in, you know, uncovering and determining? Absolutely. The uh, Oversight Committee has definitely been uh, doggedly pursuing questions around the Biden family, the Biden family business, Hunter Biden's uh, access to his father and the use of that connection to uh, recruit business clients, those clients often being uh, agents of foreign governments. And so uh, we are going to be very interested in who's been visiting the White House uh, when Joe Biden was vice president and who's uh, been visiting the White House during the current administration, because this all comes back to the fact that you have this sitting U.S. president uh, as the head of a large family that engages in business activity surrounding access to him. And so selling access, uh, you have to ask who is paying for the access, what kinds of national security concerns are involved here. And and it and it goes right to the top. Uh, And so getting to the bottom of who the big guy is and how much he's getting paid is is a is a question that uh, taxpayers need to know. American citizens need to know. And and uh, the sooner, the better. All right, America, we're on with our friend from Virginia's 6th District, Congressman Ben Klein is with us. Our phone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. The congressman is with us for another segment. And um, on the other side of the break, I would love to get into a little bit of of uh, what we're seeing that uh, earlier today, it seems, uh, this probe into reports that the Biden administration pressured the FDA over COVID booster approvals. So uh, we're going to have that conversation and more uh, with Congressman Klein on the way back. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez and Congressman Ben Klein. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? 
you need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. The octane action in the dust, a new film puts... Our staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Now, uh, we are continuing our conversation with Congressman Ben Klein from Virginia's 6th District. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. I know it's not easy for everybody to stay up late, but we're live and we're national and people want to know this stuff, the answers to these questions. Uh, talk to us about what happened today with uh, this probe that's going to be launched into reports that the Biden administration pressured the FDA over approvals for the COVID booster. Well, uh, Thomas Massey, who's a good friend on the Judiciary Committee, chairman of the Antitrust Subcommittee, is uh, concerned about uh, the uh, appearance of interference by the administration uh, putting pressure on the FDA to quickly authorize uh, COVID-19 boosters back in August of 2021 when uh, they, uh, following the announcement, he actually had the resignation of uh, two uh, individuals who were actually expressing concerns about that. And uh, Massey has asked to retain those records about the FDA's uh, review and approval of COVID-19 vaccines and boosters and the departure of these two from the FDA. So it's uh, something we're going to be looking into. And I'm I'm glad my colleague, uh, the congressman from Kentucky, is on top of it. Point well made. Now, I, I want to just continue with this because to me, I see a trend, right? It seems like the Biden administration interferes in just about whatever they feel like, whether it's this vaccine, whether it's this uh, election, whether it's, you name it, they, they kind of stick their their uh, their nose into it and, and seemingly with impunity. Um, what is that the sense that you guys in Congress have? Are you guys taking them as they come? Uh, am I being um, overly judgmental? What's your thought? <laughs> no, definitely not. It's it's about the again the interference in the operation of the bureaucracy, the uh, weaponization of all of the different agencies at his disposal. You know, we just had the FTC before my subcommittee. Uh, two weeks ago, where they had not provided information about 
the Twitter files investigation that we're pursuing, uh, the fact that we had uh, Matt Taibbi before the weaponization subcommittee, and as he was testifying about the Twitter files, the IRS is knocking on his door. Uh, you, you have, during the weaponization committee hearing, the ranking member and members of the weaponization sub on the Democrat side asking Taibbi who mm-hmm. his uh, sources were. It's, it's intimidation, and uh, it's across the government. Yeah, so, I mean, again, I, I've always known that it's not uh, appropriate to ask a journalist, you know, what, who their source is and whatnot, but it seems that whatever was not okay in the past seems to be okay now all of a sudden. I don't understand why. Why have we normalized the taboo? Everything that was once taboo, why is that normal now? Well, uh, the left has always uh, said that the ends justify the means. It's, it's always been, uh, whether it's spying on the campaign of, of Trump, raiding his home, indicting him for campaign finance violations when he didn't use campaign funds. Uh, these are just all different ways to get to the end game of keeping Donald Trump out of the White House in 2024. So whether it's uh, pursuing their agenda on uh, – liberal social agenda, uh, liberal economic agendas. Um, it's, it all comes back to what are your, what is your end goal and how do we utilize and weaponize these institutions of government to, to those ends. So uh, in addition to the hearings you guys are holding, um, what kind of accountability can the American people um, look forward to or expect? And again, I realize you're congressmen, not superheroes. I know people are, you know, they, they listen to the news, they listen to, to analysis and commentary on programs like this, and they think, my goodness, you know, we're, everything is so bad, and, and people are just getting used to and accustomed to digesting all of this bad news. What, I guess, what hope can you give Americans today, Congressman? Uh, well, it, one thing that the American people do understand is that government doesn't move fast, and it doesn't matter who's in control. What you have is a, uh, a an institution that is 250 years old, where in a 24-hour news cycle. So while uh, we are moving, it it is one half of one branch of government that is uh, restored to conservative leadership. And uh, we're going to do our jobs and investigate and follow the facts. Now, those facts and those uh, questions are leading us in the right places, and we are making progress. You see where we uh, were able to overturn the District of Columbia's rewriting of the criminal statutes. That seems like Mm -hmm. a small thing. But the fact that um, Mr. Clyde, that Congressman Clyde put that bill in, uh, we got it through the House, and then enough pressure was put on the Senate that the administration flip-flopped its position and it got through the Senate because the senators didn't want to have to campaign on the issue. And then the White House signed the bill going and, and hung out a bunch of Democrats in the House to dry. So we can get where we need to be. We just have to lay the groundwork and, and um, hope for patience as we lay out the evidence for the American people. Uh, the impeachment of Mayorkas is going to be a big step along that process. We're laying the yeah. groundwork now. We're going to have, in, we're going to have uh, bills to secure our border put forward on the floor in March. We want to see them pass in the Senate. We want to see something passed in the Senate, but we need to start responding to this demand by the American people to secure our borders and impeaching Mayorkas, who has ignored his 
role as um, as ultimately responsible for keeping the border secure. Um, well, the president is ultimately responsible, but Mayorkas is the uh, secretary is is going to lead us to have to replace him. And, and uh, the House impeaching him hopefully will put enough pressure on the Senate and the president to see action. You know, if I'm Joe Biden, and I'm not, by the way, but if I am Joe Biden, I say I say to Speaker McCarthy, I say, you know what, guys, go after Mayorkas. You go after him. I'm going to twist a few arms. I'm going to call my buddy Chuck Schumer, and I'm going to ask him to sign on board with, with you guys so that you guys can get him out, and I scapegoat this guy, and, uh, and we have ourselves a little deal. And I cut a deal with the Republicans saying, get rid of this guy. I'll give you what you want, whatever package of bills you need to shut the border down. We'll do that. I'll take credit for it, and I'll, I'll look that much better in my 2024 run. Why doesn't he do that? Well, the, the Freedom Caucus, and, and I'm proud to be a member of the Freedom Caucus, is putting pressure on him to do, uh, to take those steps to leverage the, the, the uh, tools that we have. And the power of the purse is our biggest uh, mm-hmm. uh, role. And so we're going to be using that power of the purse to uh, strip out a lot of the woke and weaponized government from the House bills. And, and then hopefully he will have a talk with Chuck Schumer, whether it's about the debt ceiling or whether it's about um, where are these appropriations bills are going uh, and, and make sure that uh, we get to a place where they can't weaponize or they aren't uh, weaponizing these institutions as they have been over the last several years. Because when Democrats were in full control, it was Katie bar the door. Now we're in a position to actually uh, stop uh, the abuses and we need to use our role in the majority, slim though it is, to get that job done. All right, folks, we're on with uh, Representative Ben Klein, Virginia 6th District Congressman. Uh, when we come back, I want to get your take on, on the recent report that was issued by the White House saying, yep, Afghanistan withdrawal, totally Trump's fault, and B, um, what's going on with this woke agenda that seems to be, uh, you know, kind of was born out of, or at least it went on steroids in, in Virginia, and it's sweeping across the nation with all sorts of craziness uh, when it comes to kids and schools and parents having limited rights. So I want to get your thoughts on that as well. And any calls that are out there, um, hang on. We're going to get to you, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Our guest is Congressman Ben Klein, Virginia's 6th District, is where he uh, hails from. And he is the chairman of the Subcommittee on Responsiveness and Accountability to Oversight. Congressman, tell us all about it. Well, it's a new subcommittee that Jim Jordan has created. You know, he's chair of the Weaponization Committee, and Mm -hmm. they are demanding a lot of information from the administration. And we're looking for new and innovative ways to get the information. You know, we can't uh, we, we can try and hold everybody in contempt of Congress and and uh, and get them the DOJ to prosecute them. But that that is a, a long way off. So they've 
created this new subcommittee. We subpoena the legislative affairs offices. We drag them up to the Hill. We read them the riot act. Um, I've had a couple of them, uh, beg not to have to come back and, uh, and, you know, they can avoid having to come up to the Hill if they just produce the documents. If they just produce the documents we want to see, we won't um, get into this back and forth that we have been doing over the last couple of months. Eric Swalwell is my ranking member. That pre- presents its own unique Lucky challenges. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but we're not there to recreate uh, the weaponization subcommittee as, as he would love to be on the weaponization committee. He's not. He would love. He would have loved to have been on the January sixth committee, but he's not. So he instead he treats this subcommittee as an opportunity to talk all about Donald Trump and uh, and and avoid uh, trying to take responsibility for the lack of production of documents from this administration. But we're going to keep pressing, and uh, hopefully we're going to continue to get the results that we've seen so far. Now you mentioned the weaponization um, committee, and um, the work there is is you know wide. There's a lot, a lot to do. But something that um, just, you know, came through my head as you were saying that was, I know that there, there's a bunch of work uh, around trying to um, produce other indictments uh, on, on former President Trump with respect to, to documents and whatnot. Um, what, what's your thought on, on that? Not, not whether it's political or not. I think it, it's overtly political. But uh, do you think they, they're getting anywhere? Are they making any traction and getting closer to an indictment? I understand they're trying to, uh, they've impaneled a grand jury and they're looking for testimony. What's your take? Well, we all saw the uh, ridiculous raid on Mar-a-Lago uh, and, and uh, we don't know much about the status of uh, those, uh, any of those uh, investigations or prosecutions where those are in the pipeline. But uh, Georgia, uh, we've we've heard some leaks, um, intentional or not, out of the uh, prosecutor's office down there, who who may or may not be looking to bring charges soon uh, mm-hmm. on on those election questions. But uh, each each situation is different and unique. And the Alvin Bragg situation is the one that we are faced with right now, the most overtly political prosecution. Um, and, and the uh, fact is the Judiciary Committee is going to be in New York on Monday. And um, for uh, once, the Democrats have actually agreed to participate. You know, we're not uh, we're not used to seeing the Democrats when we take field hearings and have uh, yeah. we go down to the border to look at the crisis on the border. They're nowhere to be seen. They but if run. we go to New York into uh, into the uh, ranking member of the Judiciary Committee's district, Mr. Nadler, or thereabouts in Manhattan, uh, he has said he's going to be there. So that'll make for some interesting uh, uh, conversations, I'm sure. What Representative Nadler, I mean, truth be told, he may have had a previously scheduled lunch, and we know he doesn't miss very many lunches. So that might be why he's agreed to be there. (laughs) All right, well, let's... um... I guess um, let let everybody know how uh, they can uh, keep in touch with the work that you're doing and how they can follow you. Uh, well, the website is klein.house.gov, and it's C-L-I-N-E. And then uh, the Twitter is uh, at Rep Ben Klein. And, uh, and I'm on Instagram, too, but I don't even know the Instagram handle, so <laughs> you just can't have to find me there. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Well, Congressman, it, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I, I appreciate your insight and your time on, on a lot of these matters, and uh, hope that you'll, you'll make time to come and join us again soon with another update. Always glad to do it. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. All right. Uh, more to come straight ahead. We're going to have some continued discussion on what's going on, plus a little bit of a look inside what makes these school shooters, mass shooters, why do they do what they do, and what happens inside the brain of an incel? We're going to get to that straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S. And if I sound a little different, it's because there is a deep state gremlin inside of my microphone trying to make me sound like a robot. So this is the real me. It's not the AI version of me. It's the real me. And I'm just uh, putting that out there as a little bit of a disclaimer. Anyway, um, I was looking at this piece uh, because uh, one of my friends sent it to me. And uh, we have these ongoing jokes. Um, I just for, for the sake of, you know, full disclosure... Um, with my friends, the back-and-forth banter that I have uh, hasn't really changed since I was, like, 14. Um, so, yes, my maturity level is around that of a 14-year-old boy when it comes to texting with my friends. And, and the um, headline here is, A psychologist breaks down the storm that creates incel men and offers a solution. And, of course, we talked about these incel men and the term incel is a compound word of uh, involuntarily celibate that we uh, learned about from Dr. Carol Lieberman, right? America's uh, number one psychiatrist, the terrorist therapist, and she, she's always terrific. And she uh, broke it down for us uh, during um, that Idaho murder case. And I saw this because, you know, in, you know, in light of what we uh, saw yesterday, coming out of Kentucky. And I want to share a little bit of it with you. Um, incels are men who feel they're involuntarily celibate and blame women for their lack of sexual and or romantic success. Despite psychological research delving into the incel phenomenon, uh, psychologists still struggle to address the root cause behind why so many young men are drawn to this dangerous and destructive movement. There's a couple of insights that help us put the issue into perspective and effectively dissuade young men from falling into the incel trap or other related movements such as men's rights activism, men who go their own way, and father's rights groups. Number one, young men who subscribe to the incel movement tend to be marginalized. In a 2022 interview with uh, Pierce Morgan, psychologist at Jordan Peterson, a, a Canadian psychologist, was asked if he considered himself the intellectual hero of the incel community. <laughs> what a diss. That's so funny. Uh, Peterson replied, it's very difficult to understand how demoralized people are. And certainly many young men are in that category. They don't know how to make themselves attractive to women who tend to be picky and rightly so. But these men are lonesome and everyone piles abuse on them. A recent study published in 
the uh, Current Psychology, it's a magazine called Current Psychology, found that incels experience more loneliness and less social support than non-incel men. This is associated with multiple health and relational issues. When these lonely men find an online community that seems to quote-unquote understand them by virtue of shared experiences, they flock to it for a sense of belonging and fail to see how toxic it really is. And uh, we'll continue this discussion. I find this topic to be very uh, interesting uh, because it seems that all of these these um, shooters, they have this trait, um, or many of them have this trait in common, including the last one that was a biological female, but identified as a male and might have identified as an incel male. And uh, I'd be curious to know if that was the case. But we'll continue our discussion on that, as well as how the um, prosecution against Trump might be backfiring. What's going on with Bud Light and so much more? Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. Derek Johnson, uh, country music superstar, he's coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join us on our late-night National Town Hall Forum, you're welcome to do so. Give us a call, 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-482-5337. And uh, the news out of Washington is that Biden was likely involved in the Mar-a-Lago raid, or at least uh, members of the administration were queued in. And we know that from documents that were received by America First Legal, uh, and that was uh, revealed yesterday. We're also finding out that there's a probe uh, into the Biden administration because they pressured the FDA over the COVID booster approval. Uh, so that's just some of what's going on with the Bidens over there. Uh, Kentucky Democrat Governor uh, Brashear, who... Um, infamously shut down churches during the COVID lockdowns was ordered by a court to pay $270,000 to three parishioners that sued him. He lost not only once, he lost twice. So that is um, what, what's going on with that. And um, the Democrats have picked their number one city to host the 2024 convention Yes, they picked Chicago. The only, um, I guess, bad part about that is that Mayor, I'm not going to call her Beetlejuice, but uh, Mayor Lightfoot uh, won't be there. 
because you know she was ousted and replaced by somebody who might be a bigger Marxist than she is. And that's um, what's going on with the Democrats in Chicago. Now, I want to talk about this backlash over Bud Light, right? Because there's a lot going on. I mean, I, I can't th- scroll through my Instagram or Twitter feed without seeing these videos. And they started with the... Um, trans um, individual named Dylan Mulvaney saying that he was celebrating his girlhood by um, by announcing his partnership with Bud Light and these cans that had his face on it and then you had the VP of Bud Light um, we played you that audio yesterday saying that well we, we have to find new people. We, we have to find new customers because our existing customer base just isn't cutting it, right? That's what they said. And uh, the, the backlash continues. And so now you've got bulldozers and backhoes and all sorts of, uh, you know, heavy equipment destroying Bud Light cans and all these memes of men that look rather effeminate <laughs> saying these are the real Bud Light drinkers. And it, it, I couldn't help but think of a song uh, by the only country music star uh, that um, that has this very, very cool beer song. <laughs> and uh, I, I think it's incredibly, um, incredibly appropriate at, at, at this juncture. Uh, but uh, it, this is a Billboard uh, topping song, and I want you to hear it. It's called Right Beer Right Now. Derek Johnson, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yes, sir. So, you know, um, you're just living right beer right now. I think I am, too. What's going on with this Bud Light controversy in your mind? Well, I'm, I bring a total different stroll to this uh, this show, the dog and pony show, as I call it. So I'm, I'm going to deviate in a different kind of way, if you'll oblige me. But um, I'm an Army veteran and, you know, didn't get to serve as long as I wanted to. But I'm serving in a different capacity now. And if I may, just oblige me just a little um, what Americans are watching are the, is the most biblical, monumental, historical, covert operation in world history via a federal a continuity of government and also a military operation. And so I bring a different light to it because uh, when you're passionate about something, but when you know the laws and the orders, you know, I'm tired of the Monday morning quarterbacks, as the saying is, and we have a lot of those. You should have passed the ball, you should have ran the ball, and they don't know anything about X's and O's, blocking schemes, or anything of that nature. They just know that, oh, the quarterback's good or the running back's good. They don't want to talk about the real Constitution, the real laws and orders that matter. And what everybody's watching is a distraction, but it's also to wake up Americans. It's 47 U.S. Code 606, and that was put into place by the man himself, Donald John Trump. Um, and so everybody's watching a continuity of government that is all outlined in federal continuity directives one and two uh issued january 17 2017 june 13 2017 and other segments of that february 2018 january 2021 and july 2021 which shows you and so donald trump became a wartime president march 2020 by military law first and i think no one's talking about that i think yeah, it's well being probably overlooked. we're not talking about it because we're talking about bud light and if we could back well, up sure. a little bit <laughs> Tell me a little bit about well, what, what, what do you think about the backlash on Bud Light with people, you know, throwing their cans away and saying, you know, screw you, Bud Light. Well, you know, that once again, I think it's uh, some of that. First off, most of them have already drank enough of the beer. 
that floated Bud Light for years, so it's kind of like any other controversy like that. Had they been a weight beforehand in different ways, then okay. But, yeah, it's a little different scenario because, obviously, Bud Light just came out and did this. It wasn't like they did this from the start. Um, but it, it's it's kind of like the Dixie Chicks uh, con- controversy way back uh, right. with the Batlash, and it ruined their career, absolutely destroyed their career because they were in another country, and they said what they said about a president, whether you liked him or not. So this is kind of that situation where it's it's – it's going in a different effect because these are conservatives out there. These are people who care about their country. They also care about their children's future. So, you know, they're reacting because this is like, you can do your thing at your house. Sure. Be whatever you want to be at your house, but quit looking over at your neighbor. Quit looking out the window at your neighbor and look in the mirror at yourself. It's kind of what that that is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and just, and, and the tie-in that I saw, and obviously I, you didn't write this song, right beer right now for, the um the purpose of you know dumping bud light but what was the inspiration of living right beer right now well just people that that worry about tomorrow or they worry about uh stuff they shouldn't worry about um and you know being a a small town cowboy country boy um you know i had the serenity prayer you pray for today you live for today you worry about today but you don't worry about it in a different way because the Bible even talks about that. It talks about worrying is, is actually a sin because if you have faith, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about your enemies. You don't have to worry about anything. If you have that faith of a mustard seed, you can look at a mountain and tell it to move. And so we, the, the four of us in the room, there's four of us in there uh, that wrote it. Um, and so we, were, we all come from different backgrounds, but we all agreed on that same topic that, hey, you know, if you got some kind of spiritual guidance or God, however you look at it, then, you know, I don't, I don't worry about, I don't drink that way is what we're talking about. So it's like, I don't worry about tomorrow. I don't drink that way. So it's the same, same idea. Outstanding. And uh, Derek Johnson, for everybody that's listening and wants to uh, check out some of your music or some of your uh, analysis on military history or the continuity of government you were talking about, uh, how do they follow you? Where, where, what can they, uh, where can they visit to learn more? That's on uh, the documents.info, so the or the, wherever you are. I know people pronounce it differently, but the <laughs> documents, plural, dot info, um, and the1776nation.com. Either one of those will get you there. All right, the documents.info, the documents.info. All right, well, Derek Johnson, I, I want you to continue rocking um, right beer right now. And uh, thank you for your time and for your service to the country. You're a hero and a scholar, obviously, because you've got a lot of history uh, under the belt as well. So thank you for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. God bless. All right, folks, your calls and more are coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America, welcome back. Rich Valdez. And, you know, Joe Biden 
uh, was on yesterday. We mentioned this briefly. I played the audio clip for you that Biden says that he is running. Uh, he just uh, wasn't ready to announce it yet. Uh, and that's what he told Al Roker um, just yesterday. We, we saw the, those stories come out. And um, it's interesting because, you know, since then, the um, late night laugh machine known as late night TV, which I know nobody listening to this program knows about because you guys are watching nothing. You're listening to the radio like, like all the great Americans that you are. I'm kidding. Um, I usually have my TV on a mute. Uh, I just don't watch the late show and I don't boycott them. I actually do think those guys that nobody else thinks is funny. I think they're funny. I do just because I don't like them. Um, I, I do. Um, you know, I don't like their politics. Doesn't mean that I don't like them as people. It doesn't mean that I, I don't think I, I do think they're funny. Yeah, I got into it the other day, not too long ago, with uh, somebody over Chuck Schumer's niece, Amy Schumer. And I saw her at Madison Square Garden. Let me tell you, I laughed my butt off. I thought she was very raunchy, very filthy, uh, but uh, it was humor that made me laugh. I, I really, I thought it was humorous. Uh, a lot of people take offense to Amy Schumer, and, and they, they're just like, I don't think she's funny. Um, I don't like it when she you know, makes fun of everything I believe in, but I do think it's funny nonetheless. Anyway, late show host Stephen Colbert, he's getting um, beat up a little bit because uh, he says that um, Biden is uh, a gaff-ridden, uh, a gaff-prone politician, and he made his statement at the White House Easter egg hunt that hinted at his re-election. Now, what's interesting here is Biden's presidency has been filled with these types of uh, crises and gaffes uh, as citizens question his mental acuity. But he may have hinted that he's up for the challenge of running for re-election. Again, this is in uh, Fox News, FoxNews.com. The president's fumbling statement at the annual Easter egg roll, which is a White House tradition, goes back to 1878. And uh, this was all that Colbert needed, saying, I was just wondering, Mr. President, will you be taking part in the Easter egg rolls? Actually, it was uh, not Colbert, it's Al Roker. Um, and we have the clip. Let's play the clip. So th this is a fantastic event, one of my favorites of the year. I was just wondering, uh, uh, Mr. President, uh, will you be uh, taking part in the Easter egg rolls uh, after planning on after 2024? Well, I plan on <laughs> at least three or four more Easter egg rolls. At least three or four more? Maybe, maybe, maybe five. Maybe five? <laughs> maybe maybe so, six. So what the hell? Are you, are you saying that, uh, that you would be uh, taking part in uh, our upcoming election in 2024? Well, I'll either be so rolling an egg or you know, being the, 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 you know, the guy who's pushing them out. Come on, help a, bro help a brother out. Make no, some news no, for no, me. No. I, well, I, I plan on running out, but we're not prepared to announce it yet. <laughs> so Colbert went to town with this. And again, I know a lot of people say he's not funny, but uh, what he said, he said this. He said, that's right, Jack. I got big Easter news. Joe Biden can lay eggs. Easy as pie. No, I push him right out the Kaloka. Yep, serve him up scrambled. Sit on him for a while. Raise a beautiful little flock of baby Joes. Peep, peep, peep. Colbert quipped while imitating the president and wearing his famous aviator sunglasses. Uh, point is, I am mentally fit to once again run for president of the United States. What's going on? Where's Jill? Marco? Jillo? <laughs> I think that's funny, right? It's, it, it's the doting grandpa funniness of Biden. And I, I did think that was funny. 
I uh, would have liked to have that clip. That's a funny one. Uh, but Joe Biden says that, yes, he is running for president. Uh, but again, saying, but I'm not prepared to officially announce that. But that didn't stop Jen Circleback Pasaki. Remember her? Yes, Peppermint Patty herself. She is uh, defending him, saying he's clearly running. Listen to this. What do you say to Democrats who are nervously waiting uh, for the president to announce? I would say he's clearly running. He's never said anything otherwise. But what the reason, in addition to what Willie said about why he hasn't announced yet, there isn't a clear primary that he's competing against that's different from where things looked last August or even September. In addition, the benefit of being the incumbent president is having all of the pomp and circumstance around you, right? The plane, the music, and also being able to project to the public we are competent here. We are meeting with foreign leaders. We are getting things done for your communities. That is what he's trying to project right now, because the entire message the White House and the political advisors around him are talking about running against Trump or whomever may be the nominee is, is competence versus chaos. Right now, competence is him being president. Uh, I don't know if she, uh, my transcript says that she said right now competence is him being president. Is that really competence or is that confidence? Uh, either one, I think that it's not confident or competent uh, for Joe Biden to be president right now or anytime in the future, right? I mean, to me, it's um, it's clear as day. This is not a good thing. But Jen Pasirko Bakpasaki was so good at having his back, right? She was really good at doing her job as the press secretary, as, you know, being Biden's mouthpiece, going out there, thinking for him, speaking for him, doing the job, unlike her, uh, her successor, Karine Jean-Pierre. Boy, what, what, a, um, what a letdown, right? Um, it, it's just, um, it, it's so sad. It's so sad, right? The things that she's dealing with, she can't confirm or deny if Biden's running for president. She can't even confirm or deny that they're going to put together a White House social media influencers briefing room. So just imagine that everybody that your kids like on TikTok and Instagram, they're all going to be in a separate little pool in the White House where they get to go and ask questions of the press secretary. Just imagine that. Uh, listen to this one from Karine Jean-Pierre on Air Force One. And go uh, number 12. I guess we, we won't have it in time and then the music will come in. Anyway, what she says is that they, they ask her, they wonder, you know, what's going on with having a briefing room for social media influencers. She giggles, she laughs and basically says, well, she can't confirm it. She can't deny it. She doesn't have anything to announce. She can't share anything on that. As far as uh, we know at the White House, um, this is where Americans come to meet. And it's one non-answer after the next from Corrine Jean-Pierre. And it's sad. Do we have the audio yet? If we do, just play it. Um, Axios had a story about the White House possibly creating a new briefing room for social media influencers. And I am curious whether that is real. And I wonder why you would be curious. I have a vested interest in protecting the rights of the no, no, no. press corps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally the interests of the press corps, I will say. So look, um, don't 
don't don't have anything to announce on that or anything to share uh, on that or confirm or anything like that. Uh, as you know, we uh, uh, here at the White House we uh, uh, very often uh, use influencers to try to, to try to meet Americans where they are. Uh, we've seen those reportings. I just don't have anything to share on that. So does that mean you're not denying it? I just I mean I just there's I can't confirm those stories. I just can't confirm or, or say. She can't confirm them. And again, it sounds to me like she's like, look, I just can't. I can't tell you guys what we're doing, if we're going to use influencers or not. You know, it's kind of like campaigning right from the White House. Just imagine that. Imagine Dylan Mulvaney would be in the White House saying, you know, KJP, KJP, I will give you a Bud Light if you let me know if I could do a video, a little selfie video with Joe Biden, Joe El Baboso Biden. Anyway, straight ahead, we're going to continue our conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez and our guest is Jen Cabany. She's the editor-in-chief at College Fix. Jen, welcome. Hi, Rich. Good to talk to you. Likewise, likewise. Always a pleasure. Um, so I saw an article and uh, the headline was Michigan universities hosting separate graduation celebrations based on race and sexuality. And it's because obviously these liberal colleges are embracing racially segregated affinity groups for different types of graduations. And Michigan college is coming under fire for hosting five graduation celebrations separated by race, sexuality, gender identity. Uh, in addition to the university's larger commencement ceremony and Grand Valley State University's Multicultural Affairs Office lists graduation ceremonies or celebrations for black students, Asian students, Latinx students, uh, Native American students, and LGBTQIA plus students all happening next month. The university is also going to have a general commencement ceremony for all students. The college describes the graduation celebration for Latino slash Latina slash Latinx students as, quote, an opportunity to come together and acknowledge uh, accomplishments in the spirit of traditions and culture. Uh, I think this is bizarre and, and obscene and uh, offensive. What say you, Jen Cabany? Well, I think it's neo-segregation is basically what it is. And it's a return of the separate but equal. But in, in this decade, the people of color are actually embracing it and celebrating it, unfortunately. And I wish I could tell you these examples that you just listed in Michigan are outliers, but they are not. We have seen this um, at hundreds of universities over the last half dozen years. It spreads beyond graduation ceremonies. Um, they also have segregated residential arrangements, segregated um, safe spaces, segregated hangouts. Um, yeah, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, there are many more examples, and it's pretty much a common trend in higher education today. Now, obviously, this has its roots in, in the same place that everything else has its roots when we talk about this um, this focus on on 
dividing people by some sort of identity or affinity group. Uh, let's talk about how that's affecting colleges overall. And I know you guys at the College Fix, you do a, an excellent job of calling that out as it happens. Uh, but let's, um, I mean, I guess what's what's been your experience so far, not just with graduations, but seeing how this, this hyper, or like you mentioned it, this uh, neo-segregation, how is this hurting uh, our students? It's absolutely dividing them and creating fissures and angst and anxiety and animosity between people who should really be friends and, and colleagues and peers. You know, the, this divided America where we're hyphenated, right? Everybody has a hyphenation as part of their identity is ridiculous. We're all Americans. And we're all in this together. But unfortunately, the way the left divides and conquers is by dividing, uh, dividing us and making us see each other as, as competitors and enemies just based on identities such as skin color or sexual orientation or gender. And it's really sad. You know, when I was in college back in the 90s, it was fun. We didn't worry about your skin color or anything like that. We just had a good time and it was, it was lighthearted. And, you know, um, I, I'm really glad I went to college in the nineties because I, it's an oppressive atmosphere today. I mean, the, these youngsters uh, will never know what it's like just to, just to enjoy college years without having to you know navigate these, these landmines. Yeah. Like college back when you could drink Bud Light, which apparently nobody's yeah. doing anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is another another area where the same thing, right? This um, gender identity, uh, gender wokeism it, it has crept in. And uh, I'm looking at a, a piece in the New York Post that says that there's a, uh, a, a backlash. Obviously, we've seen that on social media, but that distributors like Anheuser-Busch distributors in the South, uh, quote, spooked by the widespread backlash that Bud Light has received after teaming up with transgender social media star Dylan Mulvaney. And uh, I, I find this fascinating. Uh, I, I, you know, I, we saw this with Goya, right, a couple of years ago, uh, where they said, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to, the Goya guy said, hey, I support Trump. <laughs> Next thing you know, they said, no more Goya, but they're brown. We don't care if they're brown. We don't, no more Goya. And then uh, everybody went and bought Goya, and, you know, Goya had record profits. So I'm wondering, you know, uh, this is the reverse, right? This is the same thing where they said, no, drink Bud Light. And they said, nope, not if you're going to go woke, you're going to go broke. And, and that seems to be what's happening. When are they going to wake up and learn that go woke, go broke is not just a catchy slogan? It actually happens time and time and time again. I'm absolutely baffled by the idiocy of these corporations. Like, when are they going to figure it out? I just don't understand. Uh, well, but then, you know, I do because, you know, higher education is where we're training up these idiots. And then they end up in corporate America and Silicon Valley and ruining all of our lives. Yeah. And it's funny. Uh, that is uh, like a real natural progression, right? So it's, you know, they learn the indoctrination or the, the, um, the, the Marxist way of thinking in higher ed. And then they bring it to corporate America by way of, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, before that, it was, you know, just um, what they call it then multiculturalism. And there were so many names for this, but um, it, it's become worse and worse and more intrusive. I remember watching a, a corporate video uh, for a job I had where there was like a scenario that you had to watch a video and 
and somebody said, well, you know, maybe we should hire um, so-and-so because so-and-so looks like he's older and he's probably more serious, probably brings more experience to the table. And then the girl says, well, you can't say that about so-and-so because we are not supposed to take their age into account and blah, blah, blah. And, and I just thought it was <laughs> laughable when I saw it. But yesterday we had a guest on this program uh, talking about how there are more companies that are looking to hire older uh, employees because they're finding younger employees to be unreliable. And again, this has a lot to do with, again, this is go woke, go broke stuff. And uh, they're not able to keep jobs. Many of them don't even want jobs. And, and I just think to myself, we're seeing this play out uh, on so many levels in so many ways, yet uh, people continue to do what they're doing. And I feel like uh, those on the left that embrace this type of thinking they look at the rest of us. It could be, let's say it's 75, 25. And they go, yeah, 75% of the country thinks that, you know, traditional values are the way to go. And it's 25% that are just fringe lefty lunatics. And I think they look at the 75% and go, man, we've got a lot of work to do. Let's go. You know, and they get enthused yeah. by it. Uh, I don't know that we look at them and see it the same way. Well, unfortunately, you're, you're being too kind by the, gosh, we have a, lurk, a lot of work to do, let's go. It's more like, gosh, we're going to force them to think That's how true. we think, to say what we say, to do what we do, to like what we like. They don't allow us to have our own thoughts, our own opinions, to express ourselves. It's, it's their mm-hmm. way or the highway. Um, so it's, I wish it was as simple as finding compromise, finding middle ground. Um, but it's, it's not, as we see time and time and time again, especially recently, you know, in the last month and a half, there have been four violent uh, cancel, culture, cancel culture incidents on campuses, um, you know, where we had the shout down of, of the sitting federal judge, Kyle Duncan at Stanford. And yeah. I mean, they didn't beat him up, but boy, oh boy, they you know took over the classroom, shouted vulgar, nasty things at him. You know, then that DEI dean took over the podium and, and dressed him down. We also had a situation a couple weeks ago at Virginia Commonwealth University where some pro-life students were uh, shouted down as they were trying to give a talk, ended up getting into a brawl, and they arrested two people, and two pro-life students were injured. And then, of course, just last Thursday, we had the Riley Gaines thing where she was assaulted and hit by a man uh, after she gave a speech on saving women's sports. And, you know, that video has gone viral. Most people have seen it at this point. But the point is, is, um, you know, we're, it's an escalation. Uh, they're getting more violent, uh, more bullying tactics, and they're basically saying, I'm a victim and I'm going to punch you out until you agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I love the way you put that. Let's pull on that thread a little bit. I want to talk more about this Riley Gaines. I know that you guys at thecollegefix.com have a article up uh, today that the uh, student president at SFSU is blaming Riley Gaines for being assaulted and citing its, um, quote, her hateful rhetoric. So we'll talk about that as well as how some trans activists have um, protested by openly injecting themselves with hormones and chanting F DeSantis. <laughs> that was their political statement. So we'll do that straight ahead with Jen Cavani, editor in, uh, at thecollegefix.com. Don't go anywhere. Plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. More than 50% of transgender youth in the U.S., which is estimated to be more than 150,000 kids, live in states in which transgender youth have lost access to or at risk of losing access to gender-affirming care. Look, this is awful news. Let's be very clear about that. LGBTQI plus kids are resilient. They are fierce. They fight back. They're not going anywhere. And we have their back. This administration has their back. Administration has their back. They're fierce and they fight back. Now, again, these are words that uh, normally wouldn't be taken out of context. Uh, but I can't help but think and say, oh, my gosh, if does fighting back mean assaulting Riley Gaines when she's giving a speech at another college because you don't like her because she's a girl? Uh, I mean, I, I thought the whole point here was to be tolerant because you identified as a girl or identified as a boy. And because she identifies as a girl and happened to be born a girl, somehow she's just not allowed to participate in sports and have an opinion. Uh, Jen Cabany is uh, editor-in-chief at The College Fix. Uh, Jen Cabany, what do you make of this? Well, I think that the violence that we saw is horrible, but then what's making it worse is the dean of student affairs called it a peaceful protest. And the student president blamed Riley for her own assault, citing her hateful rhetoric. So they are actually, we're living in an upside down world where mm -hmm. they're literally lying to our face and expecting us to believe it, to ignore the videos we saw, the screaming we saw, the shrieking we saw, the, trapping her in a room and, and you know, kind of joking, possibly not joking about how much money they were going to extort from her to let her out so she could catch her flight. I mean, we saw all that. It was all caught on video, and yet now they're trying to say it was peaceful and she's to blame for being, for being assaulted. It's madness. It's absolute insanity. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm totally with you here. And, and I, I find this is the precedent that was set by whatever we're going to call this group, the left, the Marxist, the media, you name it. I mean, there's so many people uh, that are involved in this movement, but they've set this precedent with their political persecutions and and being selective on who gets to be treated poorly and who doesn't and i think you know they they created you know you and me and so many americans in effigy and they painted as trump right and it's like if if trump is so detestable so it's okay to be bad to him because that's wrong. And now Trump has become Riley Gaines. Trump is becoming anybody who, who catches a beating or, or is assaulted or attacked in any way for just standing up for what's right. In her opinion, she's a girl that plays in sports and she stands up for girl sports. I, I just think it's, a, uh, it's an unfortunate state of affairs that we're in. And I don't know if there's an off-ramp here, Jen Cabany. I don't know either. I mean, Riley pointed out uh, it, it was a group of rabid conservatives chasing down a transgender person in a hallway, it would be on, it would be the lead story on every nightly news program. I mean, the hypocrisy is, That's is true. maddening. And, you know, again, the, the, the unfortunate, horrible massacre of six innocent lives at that Nashville, uh, Tennessee Christian school. Mm -hmm. And yet so quickly their, their, their lives were, were, were 
taken from the front page, and instead we got the narrative about you know transgender rights, and uh, you know she was just sort of this 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 killer was sort of just you know uh, mistreated by Christians and was and was you know getting payback, and it's just such a horrible way that they twist the narrative and they excuse the evil, murderous, violent attacks of the left. It's never their fault. They're always the victims. And, you know, conservatives, Christians, Republicans, MAGA Trumps, all of, all of the rest are blamed for every single evil ill in this world. And it's, it's, it's this opposite world. We live in opposite world. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a good way of putting it. We really are in, in bizarro world. And, and it's so unfortunate. And again, I, I feel like, you know, this was a flash in the pan. And I think we should make a little bit more of a deal about it. But again, it, it, it plays right into their hand. That, you know, it's like you say, well, they attacked this girl. Their response is, well, I mean, she's white, right? She's white and she's cisgender. Like, why not attack her, right? This, this is just a, a crazy place to be. Anyway, we're going to continue with uh, Jennifer Cabany. She is the editor-in-chief at College Fix. Uh, collegefix.com is the website. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez here with uh, Jennifer Cabany. Jen Cabany is editor-in-chief at The College Fix. Uh, TheCollegeFix.com is the website. Uh, Jen, tell us, um, you know, we have a, a couple of minutes left. I wanted to really dig into this um, federal judges saying they're not hiring Stanford law clerks anymore because of free speech on, on campus, but we don't have a ton of time to get into it. But what's the, you know, I guess the, uh, the top line on that? Well, basically, uh, you know, federal judges are realizing that these law schools are not these elite law schools, if you will. Yale and Stanford, cause Yale had a huge shout down a couple of years ago that made um, headlines, too. And these, these judges are realizing these elite law schools are raising a bunch of um, activists instead of judicial minds, and they don't mm-hmm. want any part of it. So they're taking a stand and they're saying, we're not going to hire, you know, the, uh, these students as clerk to clerk for us because we don't we don't want their activism in our courtroom. And I think what you're finding is judges are opting to get scholar, you know, young scholars from like Hillsdale and some of these other colleges um, that that have a better reputation for just you know basing their education on on the basics on you know what we understand to be law and civil society, what what we used to teach our, our young lawyers to, to respect the law, to respect right. due process, to respect civil discourse, to respect rule and order. And they want those students. And you know, they're coming from smaller law schools, you know, flyover state law schools, but these elite law schools on the on the coast, they're saying, no thank you. Yeah, I agree. And for everybody that's listening uh, and uh, may not be familiar with your website, thecollegefix.com, uh, tell them how they could, you know, learn more about what you're doing and how they could follow you on social. So we're basically a daily news website focused on higher education, but we 
our stories are written by undergrads uh, from campuses across the nation. We're training these students how to be reporters and get the who, what, where, when, and why. And then we launch their media careers. We offer journalism internships and fellowships, and we mentor them and serve as role models. So we're kind of a, we have those two main goals of, of shining a light um, on these college campuses and training up the next generation of, of honest um you know, truthful, liberty-minded reporters. And, you know, we're, again, we're on the, the collegefix.com, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, I do have a newsletter I send out twice a week. And, you know, we're just fighting the good fight every day, churning out the news and, and serving as a canary in the coal mine. What's going on? Outstanding analogy, and it's so true. Jen Cavaney, editor-in-chief at thecollegefix.com. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Godspeed. Good to talk to you. Likewise. All right, folks, we're going to continue with the program. Open Phone America is coming up next. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Open Phone America, your calls, me, and everything in between. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. It is the third hour, so that means it's our Tuesday night program, but technically, in Eastern time, it's already Wednesday. So, anyway, welcome to the program. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, taking your calls from across the Fruited Plain, every place that we're on, and uh, we're on quite a few places. Grateful for that. It's a blessing to be able to speak with people all over the place. And again, that number, 833-4-VALDEZ. You can always call us on our legacy line as well if you have that number or you prefer that number. Um, happy to do that as well. Now, a couple of things I want to go over. Uh, obviously, we had a really uh, good series of interviews this evening uh, with the editor of The College Fix, uh, Jen Cavaney, as well as Derek Johnson, um, he's an Army veteran, he's a country music star, had a great song about right beer right now, and um, Congressman Ben Klein earlier. And if you missed any of those, or you missed any of our interviews, whether it was uh, Roger Stone last week or Donald Trump Jr. or um, so many of the other individuals that we've had on, and there was a lot, we had a lot of people on last week to, to cover some of the breaking news that was happening, as we do every week. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Now, I know many of you don't listen to podcasts. A lot of you don't even stream audio. Uh, but it is the wave of the future, as they say. And uh, it, it does make for life to be a little simpler if you want to take the show on the road with you. You know, if you're doing a road trip, like I'm taking a road trip soon this weekend. And, um, you know, whatever it is I'm listening to, I'll probably stream it this way. I don't have any interruptions. I also don't like local ads in other markets you know uh if if i'm driving somewhere i mean used to you have to used to be forced to you know as you were driving the radio changes as you go right and that's it 
Uh, but now I could stay listening to, you know, New York-centered um, programming straight through uh, wherever I'm going. And I, I do like that option of having that. And you can always check us out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Richvaldezamericaatnight.com is the website. Now, here we go. There is a newscaster in Kuwait uh, that is actually AI. He's not a real person. And they're the ones that are reading the news. This has been out for a while. They've been selling it to different corporations saying, hey, if you don't have a corporate trainer, just use our AI avatar and they'll say the words you want them to say. And apparently now they're doing the news that way in Kuwait. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, we're also going to talk about how a chess player in Kenya was expelled from a tournament after disguising himself as a woman. Now, in the United States, this would be celebrated as some sort of act of heroism. Uh, but he apparently was dressed as a woman in a kind of like the full length. And forgive me if I'm using the wrong term, but I believe it's burqa uh, to um, to compete with women. Um, now, this is an interesting thing because this isn't swimming where like men have, um, you know, more pectoral muscle capacity, uh, longer reach, uh, wingspan. They have uh, bigger lungs, more breathing capacity. Um, I don't know that men have an advantage over women in chess. If you, if you know, let me know. I don't know anything about it. But a mysterious participant in the women's section of the Kenyan Open Chess Championship in Nairobi, Kenya, was exposed as a male imposter and removed from the tournament. The player, whose identity was not made public, admitted to the cheating and said it was motivated by financial problems. The player had registered under the name Millicent Auror and did so in the women's section for the Kenyan Open, which is currently underway. He raised suspicion when he beat former national champion Gloria Jumba, who was rated number 1,487, and Uganda's top player, Ampira Shakira, who's rated at 1,702. So how did they get him? Well, to keep his identity hidden, he was wearing a niqab each day, which only left his eyeglasses and eyes visible. Everything else was covered from head to toe. And at the end of the games, he wouldn't talk to anyone. When registering for the tournament, the player never uttered a word and simply wrote uh, his name on paper. According to the organizer of the Kenyan Chess Federation and the president there, Bernard Wanjala. So the chief arbiter, Anthony Kionga, excuse me, told chess.com, that the staff initially was cautious uh, to interfere as they were talking uh, with respect to this uh, accountability that they wanted to hold on this guy, but they thought they might have been dealing with a very orthodox Muslim woman because of the traditional garb. However, as the tournament went underway, both players and arbiters noticed that the person in question had an odd walking style and was wearing shoes commonly used by men. Huh. So in Kenya... Apparently, if you're wearing a pair of Vans, because that's what these look like, uh, canvas sneakers that skaters wear, uh, if you wear these Vans sneakers, you are identified by the people as a male. Imagine that. I wonder how they would do with uh, this um, women and men's sports thing that we do here in the United States. Something tells me if they don't allow it in chess and they bounce you out of there, imagine what they'll do in swimming and any other sport. 
Anyway, after the fourth round, Kionga decided to take the player to a private room where he asked for an identification document. The player, a uh, university student, then admitted his wrongdoing. The reason was due to financial needs, but I deeply regret my action, and I am ready to accept all consequences. The, um, the man wrote, the young boy, or the teenager, or whatever it was, this university student, wrote in a letter. Thanks to the exceptional sponsorship, uh, this year's Kenya Open Tournament has a total prize fund of $42,000, and there are 10 prizes in the women's section, which has a first prize of 500,000 Kenyan shillings, which is the equivalent of uh, $3,800 U.S. In uh, the Open, in the section that he was competing in with women, the first prize is a million shillings, which is about $7,600 U.S., and that attracted seven uh, international grandmasters in the chess tournament. Anyway, this imposter who uh, has a ring from winning a previous classic has a score or rating of close to 1,500. So this kid was pretty good to begin with, and he just went in the women's competition knowing that he rated well and would do well there. Interesting, huh? This is how they handle that stuff in Kenya. They throw you right out. In the United States, they beat up the girl that says, only girls should swim and girls swimming. Unbelievable what, what's going on. And they call this progress, right? They call it progress. This is what we call uh, progressivism. Anyway, um, let us uh, continue our... Well, you know, before we do, I don't want to cut anybody short. Let's, let's uh, take a pause here. And then we're going to take calls straight away, like they say in the UK. Straight away. Straight away. We've got to do it straight away. All right. I'll give you the number in my British accent. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. story for anybody who was interested in the Kenyan chess player that was expelled after pretending to be a woman. Uh, let us um, start with some of your phone calls. It is Open Phone America, a time-tested tradition here on this program dating back to when I was born in 1978 and when this show was hosted by uh, Larry King and then uh, again continued by the late great Jim Bohannon uh, for 30 years. And we will continue that tradition here as well in the third and final hour of the program. Open Phone America. Let's go to Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, great show. Uh, I want to say really quickly, uh, speaking of Kenya, there was a, a case where an athlete from Kenya who was a biological female, as well as another athlete from India, I think, but I'm not 100% sure, um, had kind of a... They, 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 they might have looked kind of like a man. It was called into question whether they were biological women, and they had obviously won in their categories. And um, they were examined by a doctor. It turned out, yes, they were biological females. And then they did a blood test, and they saw that they produced um, high levels of testosterone, but that this was a natural process, not doping or anything. 
And then it was suggested that even though they were biological um, females, that this condition, and there's a name for it, um, that gave them an unfair advantage and that the Olympic Committee was either considering making them take hormone-blocking drugs. And so I find that ironic, and both women refused, but I find it ironic that biological females are, um, even when verified as biological females, are being told that they might have to take hormone-blocking drugs in order to compete fairly. But in the meantime, here in the United States, um, biological men can compete as females, and um, none of this is, you're not supposed to even say, do they have an unfair advantage, you know. We just find it kind of hypocritical. I think that's absolutely insane. Uh, because let me tell you why. I'll, I'll tell you this. If you naturally have high testosterone and that makes you a better athlete, God bless you. Just like the Kenyans, all right? The Kenyans have dominated in running because they come from high altitudes and they breathe thin air and they're, they're genetically predisposed to, to have this, this more uh, shallow breathing and it makes them great at running because they can move faster. Uh, or let's just say you come from a long line of tall people and you play volleyball or basketball and that's a, a natural advantage that you have. What are we going to tell people that you, you have to take some sort of um, growth blocking drug because you're too tall? I, I just think the whole thing is unfair. If you're a woman and you're not doping and you naturally have higher testosterone, then hey, do what you got to do. I mean, that, that's unfair. I think it becomes, um, you know, um, really unfair when, when you treat people who are naturally born this way a certain way and you won't think twice to, um, you know, to, to allow somebody like um, Leah Thomas to, to go ahead and, and compete against women when you're clearly a man with long hair, right? Uh, I don't care what you identify as, it, that's what it is. And it's just, uh, it's very unfortunate. So, yeah, uh, interesting point, Sarah. I appreciate that. Big shout out to everybody in Bedford, Indiana on WBIW. Um, let us uh, continue to Evergreen, Montana. K-O-F-I. Frank. What's up, Frank? How are you? Welcome. Oh, I'm pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'm going to visit the East Coast here uh, shortly here and see what it's like over there at sea level with all the oxygen breathers. But uh, anyway. Uh, You're in for a rude awakening, here. Frank. Oh, I know it. <clears throat> anyway. Um, country rap. It's it's a kind of infested Montana in the mm. Bozeman and Billings area, and it's uh, they've they've got a fraternity at the Montana State University that they've got the the testicle festival there, and they bring in <laughs> Texas country rap musicians, and you know it's strange that this that area has got that. After Missoula, University of Montana, well, north of Missoula, they used to have the testicle festival there, and they were just these ungodly uh, liberals and people, all the liberal elites would show up. Larry Flint would show up, and uh, it was just a simple. Now, uh, help us understand uh, the testicle festival. What exactly happens at the testicle festival, Frank? Oh, it's just it's a big drunk orgy, and then they eat these. Uh, uh, they, they eat the, the, the bull testicles or whatever. The, the oh, what do they call that? Um, 
Rocky Mountain oysters. Oysters, yes, indeed. And uh, and then just north of Missoula, between Kalispell and Missoula, the Dalai Lama's got a temple up there. So oh, boy. We heard about him. At the, at the, uh, you know, so... And then the now, is the Dalai Lama going to be at this testicle festival? Is that oh, what you're saying? He is the testicle festival. <laughs> okay. Oh, good Lord. Uh, we're going to get in trouble for that somewhere, somehow. All right, Frank. Uh, so what, ultimately, what happens with this um, country rap? Oh, it's just nothing. It's just sort of the same kind of musical progression, a real moronic three-chord progression, and it it just have a new rap tune with it. It's just as annoying as heck, you know, but it's... uh, uh, Do you dabble in that at all? Do you have a couple of tunes where you um, are engaged in this country music rap? Particularly, I don't particularly care for three-chord progressions. Uh, I like more popular... Uh, sophisticated progressions, but it's, uh, uh, I, I think the, there's not enough people that even know how to play music or read music. It's just all electronic boxes that uh, people sit, sit down and uh, play a MIDI instrument, and they don't even know what a chord is. The, the music instrument is playing it for them. Yeah. Now, does does it bother you that people that have uh, less than what you would deem satisfactory musical inclination are achieving success? Well, if success is being stupid, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just like art in Montana. You can take a, a camera of a, a natural, beautiful scene, scenic uh panorama and then do photoshop and texture texturize it to make it look like it's a painting or a, a pencil sketch right and, and it's so and pass it off and pass it off as art you know it's just it's, well see and i think that's the thing right art so many things are subjective and i'm not disagreeing with you um i, I just uh, I, I know where you're coming from right i, I know that you know, years ago i used to work for an organization called project veritas and um, founded on the idea of, like, the old journalist Nellie Bly, who uh, famously went undercover for then Cosmopolitan magazine, right, which uh, back then was a actual, like, newspaper at the time, and uh, did a story about how people are uh, unfairly jailed, if you will, in mental institutions, you know, saying, oh, this person's crazy, and they would, you know, drug them while they were in there and keep them institutionalized, and they had no, no recourse because they would just go, I'm not crazy. They got me in a straitjacket. These people are abusing me. And nobody would listen because they would just go, sorry, so-and-so is off their meds. And, and you know, this was going on you know, in the early 1900s. And Nellie Bly was an enterprising um, journalist from New York that decided to go undercover in one of these places at, to uncover the truth of what was happening. And it was that undercover investigation, uh, uh, that style that Nellie Bly created, that gave birth to the type of work that Project Veritas does, you know, 100 years later. And I remember people often saying, you know, that the people that we had that went undercover to get this, this um, you know, um, candid camera video, they would always say, well, you guys aren't journalists. And my question was always, and I wasn't making myself a journalist, I was a manager there, but I, my, my, my question would be, well, what 
what defines a journalist? You? Somebody that graduated from college in journalism or somebody that's producing news and reporting it? And uh, that's the same question, you know? Who defines what a musician is at the Testicle Festival? Is it you, Frank? Is it me? Or is it all of the listeners? We'll find out. But anyway, speaking of testicles, there's a story in the New York Post that you're not going to want to miss. Coming up straight ahead, don't miss it. America at Night, we'll be right back. Welcome back. And uh, we were just talking with our buddy Frank, who had uh, talked about this uh, testicle festival in Montana. And it seems a doctor in New York City uh, is having his own testicle festival. And again, maybe I'm being insensitive and making that uh, transition that way. But a New York City urologist is busted for allegedly fondling his patients. Some were underage boys using sex toys on the patients. All right. Well, maybe that wasn't uh, funny. Uh, but listen to this story, uh, because this is obviously a more serious spin on that. A Manhattan urologist already being sued by seven male patients for alleged sexual abuse was busted on Tuesday on related criminal charges, including some involving underage boys. According to authorities, Darius Paduch, uh, P-A-D-U-C-H, maybe it's Padouche, uh, 55 years old, who formerly worked at New York Presbyterian Wheel Cornell Medical Center and Northwell Health, carried out the abuse when he was alone with the patients in the exam room, telling them to masturbate while he often played pornography, according to the Manhattan Federal Court indictment. He would also masturbate patients using different toys on them to conduct what he called... Um, or he called necessary, but were actually unnecessary rectal exams without even wearing gloves, according to the indictment. In some cases, Dr. Paduk uh, would grab the victim's genitalia, telling them they were not doing it correctly. The medical specialist was charged with sexual abuse of multiple counts on male patients under the guise of medical treatment, for at least five years from 2015 to 2019 this was going on imagine that imagine things are going so poorly with your health you know in the nether regions where you have to see a urologist and it happens uh, i remember taking my dad to the urologist and it, it you know and he didn't like it no i don't think anybody likes it everybody's afraid of that visit and then to go there and to see this guy what a mugshot on this guy this guy's got a beard that flexes from here to like california and he's got a bow tie. He looks like a creep. Anyway, uh, that's the story on this guy. Now, where does he come from? Where I graduated from high school, North Bergen, New Jersey. Look at this. Uh, Paduk of North Bergen, New Jersey, used his position as a urologist at a prominent medical institution in New York to make or attempt to make victims behave, or excuse me, believe 
that the sexual abuse and the assault he was inflicting upon them was medically necessary and appropriate, according to the indictment. So just imagine that. You go there, and this guy's asking you questions like, all right, so how often do you do X, Y, and Z? And let me see how you do it. Oh, well, you're not doing it right. you got to do it like this. Here, let me show you. And I think, hold up, you know, hit the brakes. Why are you grabbing the President Johnson, doctor? And no, absolutely not. We're not going to allow that to happen. Uh, at least that's what I think. But I understand when people, um, you know, do sneaky things, this is uh, how they operate. They do it under the guise of, you know, trying to, uh, no, 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 I'm here to help. I'm here to help. It's like the, that old saying, uh, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. That's never true. <laughs> run, run the other way. Anyway. Uh, let us quickly check in with um, Doc in Wilmington, Delaware. Doc, welcome. What's on your mind? Great show, as always. And thanks again for taking my call. Yes, I've got sir. two widely dis dis disparate points I want to make tonight. I want to suggest a guest in the second part of my call, but I want to tell you my personal story. Yeah. I've conquered homelessness, mental wow. illness, and alcoholism, and I do have a large gun collection, but not in my possession. God bless Here's you. Here's where I come out on Louisville shootings. Um, President Jefferson said a long while ago, I'm going to paraphrase it, I don't have it right. He said, we may have to give up some of our freedoms in order to preserve the rest of our freedoms. I think it's high time we had a national call-in center. I'm mentally ill and I'm in recovery, whereby a psychiatrist or a team of psychiatrists could call in a patient's name to a federal registry, and I mean this seriously on your show, to report, report people that are a danger to others and they should not have access to a firearm. It's easy to lie in the federal form. There has to be a better screening process so that these damn nuts don't go out shooting up schools and everything else. All right. Now, with, with this being said, because <clears throat> I understand you're basing it on, you know, your, your honest um, position on your situation. But I, I tend to think, like, a lot of these people, maybe some of them you could see it coming, but these are typically young men. Uh, in their 20s that don't, they might have some history of mental illness, but many of them don't because they're not even treated. So we're not even aware of this mental illness until after the fact in many ways, right? We know that they're incels. We know that they're, you know, we learn things as they go about when they stream it, when they leave a manifesto behind and we realize, wow, how warped this person was. Uh, but oftentimes people aren't available to put two and two together. So yeah, I agree with you. And uh, I think in, in, in so much as I can say, look, if I know, wow, that guy's a whack job and that guy gets drunk and he's like, he's out there and that guy's got, you know, he's got enough guns to have a small army. Uh, I, I could see a concern there, but I just, uh, m my concern always comes down to ultimately this can be used um, as a pejorative in many ways to just be like, hey, you know, what? I don't like that guy. And then somebody will just say that you're somehow a threat to yourself or others and there there goes the red flag laws where they're saying oh well you're gonna have to take away this guy's guns because you know someone else thinks that they're whatever now i'm not saying we shouldn't address any issues uh but it, it just seems to me that the minute that we allow the government uh to step in and and, and this exists in certain places already and say hey you know uh, so and so your ex-wife said that you know you're a real jerk and uh we're going to have to take away your guns for 24 hours or for a week or for three months or whatever it is, or you're going to have to come with us, sir. Um, you know, I would really, I would lose it if, if that would ever happen to me. Uh, so I, I just can't imagine, you know, how we, we normalize or, or legalize that. But um, the, this, the, 
the the positioning that you put on it with with having doctors involved might might be a benefit. I just feel like you know you get three or four doctors that are you know in line with gun control and uh, and they're just like yeah yeah everybody should not have a gun you know what do you need a gun for what are you a hunter what what do you need come on Jack you know and then everybody sounds like Biden all of a sudden. But I, I, I get it, and, uh, and I appreciate your vulnerableness and your honesty on that, Doc. Um, now, you, I know you had another point that you want to make, but I also wanted to get your take. What do you think about the doctor in this story that's abusing people in the name of urology? I would throw the book at that sucker and put him in jail for life. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's, it's one thing to uh, abuse people, and it's another thing to abuse people that, are coming to you for help, right? I think there should be an extra charge uh, on that one, and there probably is. But, yeah, absolutely egregious. And what was the other point you wanted to make, Doc? I'd just like to suggest a fascinating guest. I've been aware of her of her for, uh, for about a couple months now. I'm following her on the web. She's written two books. They're highly controversial. Uh, she gets into central bank digital control currency, which President Biden wants to implement by executive order. It's a fascinating topic. He would do away with the dollar and track us like the Chinese do. She's a female. She lives in South America, as does uh, the Paul Greenwald, the, fa- the fam- famous journalist who lives in Brazil. Her name is Ms. Whitney Webb. If you and your call screeners and producers could get her on the show for an hour and let guests call in, I think you'd find her to be a fascinating guest, a fascinating guest. We'll definitely check it out, Doc. I appreciate the tip and love to hear from you. Thanks again for your service, as always, and Godspeed to you. Uh, We're coming right back with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Democrats have decided to throw their big old party, the biggest party of the year. The Democrat National Convention is going to be in Chicago this year. And I say, hey, good for you. Hopefully bring your bulletproof vests, you know, bring your gun with you if you're allowed to (laughs) do what you got to do. It's dangerous out there. It's like a war zone. Anyway, we're going to continue with um, our conversation here straight across America. Let's go to Illinois this time, right smack dab in the middle of the country. Galesburg, Illinois, to be exact. WGIL. Let's check in with our buddy GW. GW, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, for taking my call. I uh, was <laughs> going to be kind of demurred and light and not say much until I heard the guy come on with the idea of um, mental illness and um, the thing with uh, any of the red flag laws is it mm-hmm. just opens opens us up to too much. You know, I could call I could call in and say I don't like this guy. I wouldn't tell him that, but I don't like this guy because he spells his name with an S instead of a Z mm-hmm. and send the police down there saying you know you're some kind of threat and look what it puts you through. When the truth of the matter is that what we need what we're doing is taking people's ability to protect themselves away from them. And with China and Russia posturing like they are right now, I think that's a really bad idea. Uh, If it hadn't been for uh, the civilians, 
armed civilians in Ukraine, they would have already been uh, under the thumb of oppression. So it's just not a good idea. The problem is why? Why do we think as a people that killing a bunch of innocent people and then committing suicide is a way for us to express ourselves? That's what we need to address, not the guns themselves. Right. Address the mental illness, not address the gun. Right. 100% GW. I think uh, I, I agree with you there. Um, while I, I, I was having a conversation during the break with our producer, and we were saying, well, red flag laws are well-intentioned, right? And people automatically think if you don't support a red flag law, then you're just as guilty of shooting children in a school. And this is horrible, horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, but th- we can't conflate the two, right? Because I, I don't shoot people in schools. Neither do you. Neither does you know 99% of the people that we come into contact on a daily basis. And there are some crazies out there. And I'm not justifying school shootings in the name of crazies. But that seems to be the position that the proponents of red flag laws are, or, or similar, even gun control, uh, that they take. And it's kind of like, so, you know, they'll look you straight in the face and say, well, how many kids need to die before you get on board with banning AR-15s? Well, excuse me, Mr. Ma'am, Karen, so-and-so. No, banning AR-15s isn't going to stop the crazy. Stopping the crazy stops the crazy, right? I mean, before there were AR, and they had our AR-15s, obviously, but they didn't use AR-15s in probably the most famous uh, of these shootings, or at least was once the most famous, uh, Columbine. It was, uh, it was a handgun and a shotgun. So the, this, this notion that we use these good-intentioned, well-intentioned uh, ideas to kind of shame law-abiding people into submission, in my opinion, flies in the face of liberty. It flies in the face of what was intended in the natural right that we have to defend ourselves. That's just a, a, a God-given right, right? I don't need the government to tell me that I'm allowed to protect myself if I'm being attacked. And, and, of course, that's not the only reason that we have a Second Amendment. Of course, it's to protect ourselves from a, a rogue or tyrannical government. So um, I think our rights have to be held uh, paramount to, to other people's emotions and emotionality on certain issues. Um, and I'm not saying it's just emotionality when there's a school shooting, but I shouldn't be punished for what the school shooter did. And that's the bottom line. Thank you, GW. I agree with uh, what you're saying, and I appreciate the call from WGIL. Let us continue. Uh, let's go to Sue. Sue is in uh, Schwenksville, Pennsylvania, WXDE. Sue, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Yeah, so I was wanting to kind of riff on the urologist story. Oh, please um, do, because I know, thought that was insane. It, it's insane, but i got to tell you something. I think it's very, very common. Because when I was young and I was first away from home at college, you know, I'd never been to the doctor without my mother before. And I was going to a gynecologist to get birth control. And this doctor tried to do something to me. And uh, was on Yeah. Oh, an boy. old guy. And, and so, and you remember Larry Nasser? Look what he was doing to those gymnasts. And the thing yep. of it is, is when you're young and you're inexperienced, uh, you're alone in a room with a doctor. And you know what? You should always have a nurse present. That's what I learned out of that whole experience. Always have a nurse in the room. Because otherwise, you really mm-hmm. don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, so, so I think you're 100% right. Anybody. 
Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to share a quick story with you. And I may have shared this on the air once, but I used to go to a pediatric practice with my kids. Um, and um, my, my youngest daughter, and again, she's youngest for me, but I think at the time she was like 14, <clears throat> maybe 13. And I took her for a physical because of her cheerleading. She needed a physical. Uh, so we went and we saw a different doctor than usual. And this doctor, um, I could tell, was trying to get rid of me in, in whatever, you know, this is never a very intimate exam. It's, you know, the, a couple of breaths with a stethoscope, blah, blah, blah. And a female doctor, and she tells my kid, she's like, oh, how, how's this, how's that? You know, basic questions. Then she says, oh, dad, she gives me the, these forms on a clipboard. And she says, these were supposed to stay at the front desk. Would you mind? And in my head, my initial reaction was, I don't work for you, lady. You work for me. But, you know, I didn't want to be a jerk. Uh, so I was like, hmm, maybe, you know, maybe I'm making more of it than there needs to be. Maybe she's really actually just, you know, being nice and, you know, thinking I'm as nice as she is. And, and you know, I expressed my disdain for that situation with the look on my face, I'm sure. But um, I said, all right, let me be a good sport here. And, you know, I brought the paperwork over to the front desk, dropped it off, signed whatever I had to sign, brought it back. And when I came back, she was like, oh, dad, we're in the middle of an exam. Could you give us a couple of minutes? And I said, um, no, no. Um, and, and I called my ex-wife and I was like, the, the lady doctor doesn't want to let me in there with her. I don't know what the heck is going on. What kind of exam is it? It's a physical. It's not the gynecologist. You know, and, and I, was, I was so upset that she was trying to separate me from my kid. And I told her, I said, whatever it is, if she's not dressed, I don't know. Tell her to get dressed. We're wrapping this thing up. And I got really upset. And I asked my kid, what was going on? And she said, oh, she was asking me a lot of questions about sex and asking me, you know, how often I'm having it and blah, blah, blah. And I told her I'm 13. I don't do that. Never done that. Blah, blah, blah. And, and she said, it was really weird. The other doctors don't ask those kind of questions. And I told her, I was like, look, I don't like this idea that, you know, you're trying to get my kid in here by, my, by herself and get me out of the room. And she's like, well, you know, um, oftentimes that's the best uh, scenario for kids to open up. And I was just like, you know what, lady, I'm talking to the boss here, the medical director after this, because I thought this was crazy. But there are these doctors. And again, I don't know what, what, where this was going to go from there. Um, you know, whether she was just thinking, let me ask this kid these questions that are natural for 13-year-olds, perhaps. But for me, I took it as an affront on my uh, parental rights. And I was just like, whatever. And I asked my kid, how'd you feel? And she said, I didn't like that she was pushing you out. You know, she was like, anything she could say to me, she could say to you. She's like, you know, you're my parent. And, uh, and I thought, well, if my kid was cool with it, then I should, she should be cool with it. And I just thought, hmm, it's interesting how much sway doctors have over parents, children, you name it, over people in general. So, yeah, this is definitely an abuse of, uh, an abuse of trust. Anyway, more to come straight ahead. Uh, your call's coming up right now, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All 
Ryan America with minutes to go. Actually, not even minutes. I think it's a minute and a half. Uh, but I want to give a quick shout out to Mike in Grass Valley, California on KNCO. Thank you for the call, Mike. We got Diane in Chicago on WGN. Thank you, Diane. You're a darling. Hopefully, you'll call in a little earlier tomorrow. Paul, Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ, my man. And, of course, Lori, Colchester, Vermont, WVMT. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. I was just going to say with regards to um, being able to carry weapons, we have we live in a rural area. We've been broken into twice. And I really think that, you know, people in power, if they have this happen, such as judges and um, congressmen mm -hmm. and senators, I bet that the laws would change. You're right. Like the uh, couple of Congress people that were carjacked in Philly and, and local representatives. Uh, when it happens to them, things change. Or like Cori Bush, who said, defund the police. And she hired private security, armed security to protect her. Anyway, thank you, Lori. I appreciate it. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. We're doing it all again tomorrow. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.